Hello everyone and welcome to episode 495 of So You Want to Be a Writer, the podcast that's all about writing and publishing. My name's Valerie Koo, I'm CEO of the Australian Writer Centre and your host of this podcast. We talk about all things to do with the world of writing and publishing and how to succeed as an author or writer. Now, I want to tell you guys about a save the date. That's September 23rd to 25th of this year, 2022. If you're in the vicinity or you want to come and visit the vicinity of the Northern Beaches in Sydney, we have the Northern Beaches Readers Festival with a fantastic lineup. They have released the program. Tickets are now on sale to the public and there are so many fantastic sessions and authors. I'm very excited about it. I'm definitely going to be there. More on that in the coming weeks, but uh, for now, if you want to save the date and start planning your visit, it's worthwhile. It's a beautiful part of the world. That's September 23 to 25. If you want to find out more, it's NBRF, Northern Beaches Readers Festival, .com.au, or, you know, just Google Northern Beaches Readers Festival, and you'll be able to find the program. Now, let's also move on to this fantastic course that we've got launching this week. It's called Your Author Website. I absolutely love this course and I think it really is just such a needed course because as you can imagine, when I interview so many authors and I deal with so many authors and people in the publishing industry, I am going to authors' websites all the time and they vary from absolutely excellent to utterly horrendous. Not going to lie. And I started thinking, why is there such a difference? You know, it can't be that hard to get it right or to, to get something that is going to position you as an author, but also encourage readers to engage with you and encourage readers to buy your books. So I went down a rabbit hole, went and did a deep dive into it because I get obsessed with things and that's what I do. And I discovered that for a lot of author websites that I thought were good or that I admired or that I thought did a good job at presenting the author in a professional manner, but also in a warm and engaging and friendly manner that readers would connect with and and a website that would sell their books, I, I tried to identify, well, what were the common elements And there were certain common elements that are obvious, right? You know, they were really easy to load. They were beautiful to look at. They were, you know, nice. They had good um, information about the author in the books, those sorts of things. But one thing I did notice is that so many of them were designed by Michelle Baraclough. And I'm like, wow, that's fantastic. She really knows what she's doing. So I delved a little bit further and, of course, They're so good because Michelle Baraclough herself is an author. She's written novels and she understands what authors need. She understands what readers want from authors. So when I saw that she had such success with author websites, I knew that she was the perfect person to teach the course Your Author Website. Now, if you aren't thinking of a website or you're not even finished your book, I strongly suggest that you check out the website, um, that you check out the, the course information anyway, because 
What's really important is that you start building your author platform well before your book. If you wait till your book is published, it's kind of too late these days. Well, not too late. Of course, it's never too late. But you miss out on a lot of opportunity to build a fan base and build a community or build supporters who are then ready to buy your book by the time it does come out. Anyway, you can check out more um, about the course. It's writercenter.com.au slash author website, and it is launching this week. And for a very short period, only a few days, it's going to be available at a very special launch price, which is never going to be repeated. So do check it out, writercenter.com.au slash author website. And you'll be happy to know that Michelle is a fantastic presenter. She's just so lovely and engaging and she explains things in a fantastic way and it's just a joy to do this course. All right, let's move on. We have a fab competition for you this week. We have three copies of Flipper and Finnegan, the true story of how tiny jumpers saved little penguins by Sophie Cunningham. I just love this story. It's adorable. Flipper and Finnegan live on a beautiful island. Every morning they hunt for fish in the clear blue ocean waters. Every evening they waddle up the beach together with all their friends. It's a penguin parade. But one day when Flipper comes up for air, she gets covered in something that is black and smelly and sticky and Finnegan is nowhere to be seen. This is the miraculous true story of how a viral knitting campaign helped save the lives of Philip Island's little penguins. So adorable. So you could win one of three copies of Flipper and Finnegan, the true story of how tiny jumpers saved little penguins by Sophie Cunningham. Just go to writercenter.com.au slash win. Entries close on the 22nd of August. And if you're at that URL in the future, don't worry. There'll be some other fantastic competition for you to enter. So that's writercenter.com.au slash win. And now... Are you ready for the word of the week? This week's word of the week is rubricate. That's R-U-B-R-I-C-A-T-E, rubricate. It's a lovely word. It's a verb and it means to mark or colour with red. And it also means to add rubrics to a manuscript. A rubric in this sense is the title, heading or first letter that is written or printed in red or embellished in some way. So if you can picture an illuminated Bible, that's the vibe we're thinking of. Interestingly, that was the original sense of the word rubric and the meaning of a set of instructions or criteria, you know, a rubric, came later. All right, there you go. Rubricate. And that was the word of the week. If you're enjoying this podcast, you may also like the book that Alison Tate and I have written together called So You Want to Be a Writer, How to Get Started While You Still Have a Day Job. Full of practical tips, motivation and inspiration, it's ideal for anyone who's thinking of dipping their toes into the wonderful world of writing. We've created a blueprint for aspiring writers to follow and it's suitable regardless of whether you want to plunge straight into this new career or if you need to explore it while you're still busy in your day job. 
Let us hold your hand as you turn your dream into a reality. Buy your copy today at soyouwanttobeariter.com.au forward slash book. I have such a fantastic writer in residence for you this week, but make sure as usual that you stick around for more fun facts about the world of writing after the interview. Gabrielle Wong is an Australian writer and illustrator who has been writing books for over 20 years. She is one of Australia's most beloved authors and is also the Australian Children's Laureate. Her latest middle grade book, is Zadie Ma and the Dog Who Chased the Moon, published by Penguin Random House. Gabrielle, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, My pleasure, Valerie. It's lovely to be here. I'm so excited to talk to you not only about your fantastic new book, Zadie Ma and the Dog Who Chased the Moon, but also, I mean, you've had such a storied writing career and now you're Australia's Children's Laureate. So I have so many questions for you. Let's start with the book, the the latest book. Tell us, for those people who haven't got their hands on a copy yet, what is Zadie Ma and the Dog Who Chased the Moon about and what age do you think is it's ideal for? Okay. Um, well, first of all, um, this is really a love letter to my childhood dog, Rusty. And in the front of the book, I have a picture of me with my grandfather. Um, and when I was nine and my grandfather, when he gave me Rusty, because I wanted a dog so much when I was a child that um I, my grandfather knew that he found a dog at the Victoria Market. He used to have a, a fruit and vegetable stall at the uh, Victoria Market and he found this dog and he gave him to me. And so I've always wanted to write a story about him because it had an unhappy ending and an unresolved ending for me, even though it happened so long ago. And it's taken me all these years to write this book mm-hmm. because it is about a girl a Chinese girl who lives in Melbourne, set in 1955. So that's the year when I consider Australia to be quite innocent because um, in 1956, the Olympic Games came to Australia, came to Melbourne, and in 1956, television first was broadcast in Sydney and Melbourne. And so before that, I think, you know, Australia was quite innocent, an innocent country before it was exposed to the wider world and before um, the wider world knew about us. Um, And uh, so Zadie Ma is a girl, she's a Chinese girl, parents own a milk bar. My fond memories of milk bars, which we called lolly shops in Melbourne. Mm -hmm. And, um, uh, And she wants a dog so much, but she has a magical power. She has a superpower. Uh, that she can write stories, short stories, and some of them can come true. And so she starts, sets about to write a story about a poor lost dog, abandoned dog, who a girl like her finds. But the only problem is she doesn't know what stories that she writes will come true and what won't. So she can bring some into reality, but she doesn't know which ones will come into reality. So that's her big problem. And um, what I've done here is um, there, it's full of short, about 11 short stories that Zadie has written. And they're basically, they're like fable, fable-like stories. And 
most of them have got a little, you know, message. And then there's also two sections of graphic novel because I love graphic novels. It's the first time I've ever included a graphic novel in a book of mine. And, um, and it was an afterthought totally after I'd written the narrative and inserted the short stories, I um, thought, hey, why don't I have a, the graphic novel section from the point of view of the dog? So this is totally from the point of view of Jupiter, who's the dog in the story. There are actually so many layers in this book, and I want to unpack some of them soon, but I'd love to give people some context. Oh, actually, before I move on to some context of your career, what age or ideal reader would this suit? Uh, well, uh, middle grade, which is 8 to 12-year-olds, um, I would say. If they're good readers, maybe 7, 7 to 12, because there yeah, are yeah. quite a number of, I mean, it can be read quite simplistically. Yeah, but it can also be read on different, in, you know, it's got quite a lot of themes. Yeah, definitely, lots of layers. So mm-hmm. just some context. You were um, born in Melbourne, but your first career was actually as a graphic designer, which, of course, why you're, you know, you've got some such beautiful illustrations in your books, but also, you know, uh, what you put out there on social media, it's very evident that you have such an artistic background. When did you think... Oh, I want to write. I never. I didn't until I was. I had children who were in primary school. I had no idea that I could write a book. I could. I was hopeless at writing at school. <laughs> I wasn't at all academic. I wasn't interested in school. I, I loved art and I loved sport, um, and um, I just wanted to be an artist. So there was no thought in my mind. Like most authors, I would say, want you know, have wanted to be. Um, uh, write since they're little, but not me. So it totally happened by sheer coincidence or maybe magic. Mm-hmm. And I had a dream one night and that dream, I wrote the dream down because it was very significant. And um, the, so the next day I wrote the dream down and as I was writing it, it became, it grew into a short story, which I was just amazed. I was gobsmacked at myself to have written <laughs> a short story which I thought was pretty good. And then um, a couple of years later, that became my first book, The Garden of Empress Cassia. So I was, many of my books are about hidden potential and that, you know, I believe that many of us have a a potential that we have not uncovered yet. And it takes something like a dream or something like keeping your eyes open all the time, just keeping your senses open and, who knows, you know, there might be something that you come across that will bring it about just like it did with me. If I hadn't had that dream, I I don't think I would be a writer. That's astounding that that dream just basically changed your life. You must have been, your senses must have been open to some kind of new possibility for you to see the potential in that story. Were you, Can I don't know, can you cast your mind back to, were you ready for something new or, or something? Well, um, only it was a feeling. It wasn't anything like um, I want to do something new, like in a conscious sense. It was a feeling that I had probably about for about two months or three months. I had a feeling that there was something big coming and it felt like this train that was coming towards me and, uh, and it was getting closer and closer. And every night I would go to sleep and I'd, uh, I'd, before I went to sleep, I'd think, what am I going, it's going to be a discovery. I thought I was going to discover something 
you know, not nothing to do with art, nothing to do with creativity. Oh, well, of course it's creative, mm. but, you know, like something like a post-it notes, you know, I think, thought I'd discover something like that. <laughs> you and, thought you'd discover yeah. post-it notes. <laughs> <laughs> well, wouldn't it be great? I'd be rich. <laughs> Poor struggling author. <laughs> That's um, so funny. Okay, so that became the Garden of Empress Cassia. Yes. Okay, so that becomes your first book. Did you then know this is the train that I need to be on and I'm going to dedicate the, my career now to being an author? Absolutely. I knew that this was it. It was, so, it was so incredible that I actually discovered that I could write, you know, when I was, you know, quite, I mean, my, I'm not going to say my age, but my <laughs> children are in primary school, you know, eight, yes. eight years old and ten years old. And, you know, that's a long time to discover, uh, to, to, to have. Sure. Yeah. So you can you remember what your break was for that? Because you've written so many books since and you're such an experienced author. But if you can remember back, because a lot of listeners are at the start of their journey, um, mm. if you can remember back what your break was then. Well, um, I always believe in education, you know, no matter how much you know. Um, how experienced you are, because people would say, oh, you know, I, I'm an experienced author, but I can still learn heaps. And so um, I originally I had planned to, because I loved illustrating, I wanted to write uh, and illustrate a picture book. And it's still my dream because I have, I've written a picture book, but I haven't illustrated my own picture book. And so Rich, that was my, that was my goal since I was, you know, since I was had left school. Um, so I'd always wanted to get into the publishing industry, but never knowing that I could write, actually write a novel. And so um, what after I had that dream, the following, that dream was in 1999. The following year, I decided to do um, a one subject at TAFE. Mm-hmm. And um, it was in writing for children. And so, um, and I knew it was going to involve presenting how to present a picture book to the publisher and all that sort of thing because I'd done it and I'd been rejected uh, a number of times and I thought you know I can get some insights by going to a class and so luckily Hazel Edwards who is the um, some of you might know she's really well famous Australian author her most famous book is there's a hippopotamus on my roof eating cake and she's just such a wonderful teacher and so the first semester was taken up with how to write a picture book and you know we critiqued each other's works and 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 everything and and then I thought okay that's great but then she said second semester we're going to be writing a junior novel and I thought no that's not me I can't do that so I decided to leave the the class because I wasn't going for a degree or anything like that and then um, I went home and I thought you know you know we are we should put challenges in front of ourselves. We should always make ourselves feel uncomfortable, do something that is different to what we normally do. And even though I was really, really scared to join that class because I hadn't written before and most of those students were a part of the writing and editing um, course, um, I thought, no, I'm going to put myself out there. I pulled that short story out of my bottom drawer about that I wrote after the dream and that's what I brought to the second semester. And every week I would come to the class 
So this is a really good, this, this is what I think is really important, is that I, every week, it gave me incentive to work on a chapter for that book. So that, because I knew that I'd have, you know, I had to do this homework in order to present it to the class the following week. It's a really great incentive if you're, if you're trying to get better at something. So, you know, I, I encourage people to join classes. If you can get a writing group of people who are at the same level as you, I think that's a critique group. As long as you're kind to each other, I think that's a really, really useful thing to mm. have. And so, okay, so what happened after that? By the end of this, this, that year, I had a junior novel um, called The Garden of Emerus Cassia, and Hazel Edwards said, um, this is good enough to be to, to send to a publisher. Wow. And so, I, so she said, send it to my agent, her agent. So I sent it to the agent, got a rejection. <laughs> send it to her publisher because then she said, send it to my publisher, I got a rejection. Then I sent it to all these other publishers. I think I got about six rejections and I've got, you know, my heart sank more and more and more. And then finally there was one publisher I hadn't sent it to uh, and the reason for that was because they're the biggest. And I thought, you know, like, there's no way they'd accept me. But I thought I'd give it a go, one last chance. Um, and so I sent it to Penguin. And it so happened that the children's publisher, Julie Watts, connected with my story. And that's the other thing. You know, the other people didn't connect with my story. Mm. All you need is somebody to connect and then, you know, have that same feeling. And so from then on, that was my big break. It was Julie Watts and Hazel Edwards who. Yes. So that's what you need. You need a mentor. If you can get a mentor, (laughs) that's great. And then. And persistence. And and persistence. A a thick skin. Yeah. To keep on going after rejection. We creative people are so thin-skinned. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So a lot of people know that you're the Australian Children's Laureate, but some people don't know what that means. Now, can you tell us what that means and what you do as the Australian Children's Laureate? Sure. Well, um, my husband was explaining what an Australian Children's Laureate is to a friend of ours. I overheard him on the phone and he said, it's like the Australian of the Year, but for children's literature. And I thought, I guess, yeah. I mean, that really is because, you know, you're chosen because of your body of work. It's a nominated position. So people, industry professionals nominate somebody. I wasn't, I had no idea. And when I was asked if I would like to be, I was just, you know, I, I mean, I couldn't believe it because uh, I didn't think that I was worthy. And um but and I was very very nervous about it but it's this other thing about stepping up to a position where you you know you just have to grab it when opportunity comes yes what life is about isn't it when opportunity comes you have to grab it so in Australian Children's Laureate um I um as a laureate um I had to um have a theme my theme is imagine a story um so I talk about to kids and to adults as I travel around Australia, um, imagination and how important it is, um, not just when we're children, but as adults as well. I talk about diversity in children's literature because I think it's so important. When I was a child, there were no books where I was represented at all. And, um, and that's so important because you need to feel like you belong. I did not feel like I belonged when I was a kid. My greatest wish 
was to be white because I saw I felt white inside, but I looked Chinese. And so diversity, diverse books about diverse characters written by diverse authors. That's another thing that I uh, talk about when I go around. And I talk about audiobooks because um, I had a really, I was not very good at reading, still not very good at reading. I'm very, very slow reader. So, um, you know, having audiobooks is a big plus for me. So I talk about audiobooks. Um, and, yeah, so I travelled to every state and territory for two years. So the, the term is for two years every state and territory in Australia, which is such a wonderful thing to do. And I'm just talking about the things that I love. Oh, well, you're such a fantastic ambassador and such a fantastic person to be in this role. You talk about, um, you mentioned you need to, um, you know, grab opportunities when they come. And you were saying that in a lot of your books, a lot of, some of the uh, a running theme is the hidden potential in people. Um, and where does this come from? Where does this identification of, you know, you really need to make the most of this potential inside you and, and make sure you take advantage or, or you, 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 you utilise the opportunities that come your way? Where does this come from? Uh, I think because when I, was, when I was young, you know, I was too scared to to to, to um, grab things that um, I was very shy and I never put myself out there. Um, and so um, I was totally the opposite to how I am now. Um, and, you know, you just gain in confidence. And, and part of the reason I was shy was because I was ashamed of being Chinese. And so I was, you know, this racial prejudice, as you are well aware of, I'm sure, Valerie. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so it always pushes you down. And pushes you down. And then I, I just wanted to totally get rid of uh, my cultural identity, even though I couldn't get rid of the face. Um, and so as I matured, after I left school, I did graphic design at RMIT. But I also, um, once I started working as a graphic designer, I also decided, you know, to find my so-called roots and to start learning Chinese because I had no idea I couldn't speak Chinese. And uh, so I um, started to learn Chinese and then I went to Taiwan for five years, went to China, lived in um, China for two years, learned basic Chinese, learned art. It all sort of started to gel then, you know, when I found my identity, who I was. You have to find who you are because it's there. Right. So let's let's talk about your um, Chinese heritage. Your uh, maternal great grandfather uh, migrated when he was eighteen um, during the gold rush in Victoria, and he was from China. So you're on your mother's side. You you have had generations of people um, of uh, living here, and your father came from. Shanghai in China to Melbourne to, to Melbourne and obviously met your mother um, and also your as you say many of your books have elements of, of um, Chinese mythology and and philosophy and that sort of thing so um, what how do you determine what elements go in because it's such a rich, culture <laughs> there are so many things to choose from 
what elements, what, how do you choose the elements of your heritage to go into certain books? Right. Well, I don't, my books choose <laughs> the elements. I feel mm-hmm. um, every book I write dictates to me what's going to go in there. I, I mean, I don't pre-plan. I'm a panster, not a plotter. Right. And um, I don't plan anything. I just bounce off life. So uh, during COVID, that was, you know, because in Melbourne we had um, a long lockdown and we could only walk 5Ks from home and things like that. Um, and so I found it very hard to write and I was meant to be writing Zadie Mart, uh, but I couldn't because um, there was nothing, you know, I went to the same park every day and, you know, there's nothing new happening. So I found it very difficult creative, uh, creatively. Um what was your question? <laughs> um, well, how, how, oh, how you yes. choose the elements, yeah. yeah. And so um, I guess some of the themes that I have have not, um, I haven't totally um, dealt with, like belonging, you know, uh, and, you know, what, like I originally my, my, my cultural heritage is China, do I belong in China? Am I Chinese? Am I Australian? Am I Chinese Australian? And of course, as I matured, I realized I was Chinese Australian. And so many of us have got more than um, one culture. And, you know, that's something that we should celebrate because that's fantastic. And as I go around to schools, also, I mean, this belonging, sense of belonging, as I go around to schools, what I find is, which is incredible. Um, tragedy to me is that some of the kids, Asian kids, even though they might go to school where 90% of the children there are Asian, they feel ashamed of being Asian. I mean, this is 2022. Really? Yes. And um, and so I, I cannot, you know, I have to write these books for these children. I have to write these books for the children who feel ashamed of being Asian or ashamed of being different. And I have to write these books for children who, who fit into the default white Australia, but it would be good because, you know, only through books, fiction, uh, can, I mean, it's the book writing is the only form um, where the reader or the viewer can get inside the head of the main character. Yes. You can't do that with film. You can't do that with art, but you, it's with with um, story. It's fantastic. So it's a perfect vehicle for a person who maybe has a prejudice against something, and then they're inside the head of this main character, and they can learn so much. So that's the power of story. I mean, reading is just a magical thing. Yeah, absolutely. How how does it become apparent to you that some of these kids who are in schools that where you know ninety percent of the population is Asian, how does it become apparent to you that they are still ashamed of being Asian? Uh, when we were when we were in lockdown, I had some a number of Zoom um, school visits, mm-hmm. and so um, these they that was a particular area in Victoria in uh, Melbourne where it was a you know high proportion of Asian. Um, uh, Asian population demographic is very Asian, and um, the during the break or pre Zoom meetings, mm-hmm. the teachers told me the teachers said, you know, the kids 
you know, who are 90% Asian. Um, they, uh, they're all behind Black Lives Matter. That's fantastic. But, you know, as soon as it's something to do with themselves, they go, no, 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 I don't want to know about it. And perhaps, you know, having the COVID thing, you know, having people calling it the Wuhan virus and all that sort of thing, right. um, it doesn't help. And, you know, we had lots of quite a number of incidents of uh, prejudice against Asian people in Melbourne. Yes, yes. Uh, yeah, so that, wow. that could that could, you know, exacerbate the... the yes, at, at the time as well. Yeah. Um, you've been writing books now for 20 years, more than 20 years, so you must have a process <laughs> because sometimes you might write a book in a year, sometimes you write several books or, or release several books in, in a year. So in term, can, using Zadie Ma as, uh, as, as an example, and maybe this is a little bit odd because you, it was during lockdown, it might not have been quite your usual process but can you just take me through really the steps so th- from the idea formation to how long you let it brew for before you start writing you say you're a pantser so what happens then to to get the book out there to get the words onto your computer can you just take me through your actual writing process right well um as I said, each book has its own unique way of getting into 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 it. But with um, with I don't unless it's a book that's been commissioned, like the Our Australian Girl books, and they're a set of four books that we needed to have published four in one year, and so it, I had to plot it all out, and I because you know there was history involved and dates and all that sort of thing so that was very and I had a contract so Mm -hmm. that was very definite but I I don't until I've got a a really good idea I will never put it in front of the yeah I don't want a contract beforehand because that's for me that's too much pressure because as I said I bounce off life Mm -hmm. and nothing might happen for a whole week that might that will feed into my book so with Sadie Ma for example what the first thing I did um, I had a basic idea that I was going to, it was going to be about a lost dog and a, a little girl who wants a, wants a dog badly. The first thing I did were the short stories. Mm-hmm. And so um, I went down, this was pre-COVID, pre-lockdown, I would go down to my local, um, walk down to my local um, cafe, and uh, on the way, I would think, what am I going to, what story am I going to write today? Because it was only a thought, short story. So it has, had to be finished with, in that time, I had my soy chai latte. <laughs> and so um, I, I walked down one, I remember one time, oh, one time I left home. Just before I left home, I said to my husband, oh, give me two elements so that I can write a story about them. And he said, mm, okay, a rose and a well. And so I wrote about a rose and a well, went to the, Went to the cafe, wrote about a rose in the well. Half an hour later, I've got it all in my in my write write it down in handwriting in my yeah. writing book. And then I came back. And then the next day, you know, I was walking to the cafe. What am I going to write about? I'm looking around, looking at the little things. I think noticing little things. And as an illustrator, as an artist, I think that's a, um, a plus because you know I do notice a lot of things. Um, and so I saw a, a little dandelion growing through a crack in the footpath. And I thought, oh, that's a brave little dandelion because anybody could come along and tread on it. And so I wrote about um, 
a dandelion. And uh, and so I've, I have 15 of these stories. I used 11 of them in the book. And uh, and I have, and I, and for some strange reason, after I'd written the narrative of Zadie's Ark, mm-hmm. I inter, I put those stories interspersed. No, I don't Inters- know. How to, interspersed. Interspersed those stories <laughs> into Zadie's life. Yes. So fitted in pretty well into how she was feeling at that time. Like she felt like a, like, you know, that like the dandelion who's, you know, standing, he's in a crack and can't move and might have her head chopped off at any moment <laughs> because she was, you know, she felt vulnerable. So it was quite, that was quite an incredible experience because they, and I, and the other thing that I do a lot of editing, I mean, I, I edit and edit the hell out of my writing because um, it needs it. But with the short stories, they were all for, fully formed. I hardly, I edited maybe, you know, a, a few a few bits of grammar. Yes. So it's really strange. That was a strange writing writing as a magical experience. Yes. So those, those fitted in. And then later on, after I'd written the whole narrative and sent it off to, so then I write it, put the stories in, send that draft off to, the, I mean, that's many drafts for me, but the first draft to send to the publisher penguin and um and then they come back with a structure edit and i'm lucky because um most of the things i i, mean, I still get rejections i got a rejection from them about an idea the other day so you know it doesn't matter how experienced you are you, you still get rejections um so you, so once i send it in um then they come back a couple of months later with a structural edit and that's when I usually go oh my god I can't write <laughs> uh, they pull the whole story apart it's um it's devastating it's like you know you've woven this tapestry that you think is pretty perfect and then they just go no nah, you know just put great big rips in it and cut bits out and so um uh, one thing that I do which which I discovered when I wrote The Beast of Hushing Wood because I have a friend and he's really, uh, really creative in, in psychologically, you know, and I ask him lots of questions. So I was writing The Beast of Hushing Wood. I had this terrible moment where I got the, the structure edit back and all my books, I get to this stage where I have to tear my hair out and go, I can't write, I can't do it. How am I going to do it within the deadline that they've set me now? Because then there's a publishing date by then. Um, and he said, well, your visual, why don't you um, take the book as it is, each chapter, and then do a little storyboard, like do a little drawing of each chapter. So then what you can do is um, instead of writing in a, in a, on a corkboard in words, because I see things visually, mm-hmm. do it in little illustrations and then cut them up and then rearrange the whole thing that way. And it just made sense to me to do that. And since then, I've, that's what I've done. Although Zadie Ma and the dog who chased the moon, for once in my life, I did not get a structural edit. Oh. And I thought, <laughs> yes, and I thought, oh, no, um, you know, why haven't I got a structural edit for this? Is it any good? And uh, I was quite nervous because um, because I've had 
because I had a fairly new publisher, I had a brand new editor, and I thought, is that the reason I haven't got a structured letter? But anyway, it works because it's got really good reviews. So Yeah, it's absolutely fantastic. It's beautifully written um, for readers, well, actually, uh, potential readers who to, to have some context, and this is no spoiler in any way. Um, as Gabrielle mentioned, uh, this the narrative is well about Zadie. It's written in third person but close focus from Zadie's point of view. But interspersed are the short stories that Gabrielle's referring to are short stories written by Zadie, <laughs> and um, and they and they're gorgeous. Um, so you had to kind of have two voices sort of um, in a sense. Um, but I love the fact well, three, that... Three voices actually because the short stories are written in a sort of a fable-like voice, like yes, a, like a yes. time voice. And then I had Zadie's sort of voice and then I had Jupiter. But Jupiter was yes. basically um, graphic novel, so that was easy, yeah. Yes, I love that. And I love that this is sort of the book that was kind of written over soy chai lattes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so you, you do your soy chai lattes um, and that's when obviously you were mentioning you were writing the little short stories written by Zadie. When you wrote the um, the main narrative, tell me about your writing routine. Did you also do that at the soy chai lattes or did you, do you, did you aim for a word count, target each day? How does that get out there? Yeah, um, every book is different, as I say. And um, <laughs> let me think. Um, usually, I write. I start writing on a computer, and I write. I start. I write in. I use Scrivener. Ah, oh, yes. And um, many of listeners will know about Scrivener, but I like it because it's everything's there on the screen at the same time. All your chapters, and you can move them around. It's not like word, word, I can't stand. And Scrivener, where you left off is where you come back into the, I mean, it's a wonderful um, platform for yes. writing, I think. Um, and so I start writing. And in the beginning when I first started, and I think maybe many um, newcomers to writing would do the same thing, I would write, for, for example, with the Garden of Briscassia, I'd write a paragraph and then I would and this was first draft, I'd write a paragraph and I'd go back and I'd rewrite it <laughs> until that paragraph I thought was perfect. And then I'd go into the second one. I mean, it was just such, it took forever to write um, uh, uh, to write that book because of that. Um, but I've learned along the way that, you know, to have a shitty first draft as um, um, some author, I can't remember who said that, um, I said, is, is the way to go and it just frees you up so much. And so that's what I do now. I just just write. and Get it out there. Get it out there because you're kind of blocking off, um, you're blocking off creative ideas. Yes, but are you aiming for a word count in a particular week or day or month? Uh, no, because I'd be, it, it, because I'm, I'm a very, um, I'm not a, um, a wordy person. Um, when I'm writing, uh, yeah, I so, you know, if I said I'll have to write a 1,000 words a day because some people do that, yes, uh, there's no way I could write a 1,000 words a day. Um, I would have to say, okay, I'll aim to write 300 words a day. You know, that's my, that's my limit because 
I don't know, I'm just not a wordy person. A lot of people have to write their shitty first draft and they have to cut it down mm. a lot. Well, I don't because, um, you know, I usually have to build it up a bit to make it more. Um, but it also sounds like you don't like the pressure. <laughs> you don't want the pressure don't, of having a, I don't a, want a word target. That's right. I don't want the pressure. Um, and what I do is I always write in the morning so that I'm fresh. But everybody has their own, you know, optimum time. Some people like to write at night when it's all quiet and their kids are asleep. Mm. I like to write in the morning. Luckily, my kids were always at school when I, you know, after I dropped them off, I'd come back and then I'd do my writing and then I'd be free for the uh, afternoon to go out with friends or whatever. So Zadie Mars now out there in the world, it's getting rave reviews. Are you already writing your next one? I am. I'm working on a picture book at the moment. You know, my my picture book that I've been wanting to write for, um, I've got so many picture book ideas. And this time I've, yeah, I'm going to, I'm doing the storyboard for the picture book and hopefully it will be accepted. You know, I never know whether it's going to be accepted or not. I'm also thinking, um, I don't think Zadie's story has finished yet. I don't, Mm. I feel that there is another part there I'm not going to say what it is but I really feel that there's something that's not quite complete with me because I did a lot of crying believe it or not when I was writing this because I was thinking about my childhood experience because what I didn't tell say the end of that that my childhood experience so I got rusty as a lost dog when I was nine and ten years later um, and I loved him he was my best friend for ten years um, I went away on a ho- with friends on a holiday. My parents took him to the beach and he wandered off and I no- never saw him again. And um, it's there's no closure. You know, no matter how old I get, I didn't have closure for him. And, mm. um, you know, what ha- did he end up having en- finding another family to love him? And that's what Zadie hopes, you, yeah. know, you know. So um, I don't think I've finished with this story. Or with myself in rectifying it in my in my yes, head. there's a bit more catharsis to come out. I think, I think, I, think I can kind of sense that. All right, so um, I could honestly talk to you for hours, Gabrielle, and we must make an opportunity to do that another time. But we've probably reached the end of uh, this episode, so I always end with um, for. Listeners who want to be in a position where you under, uh, you are one day writing books over their soy latte, chai lattes or whatever their chosen beverage is, what are your top three tips to them to get to that position? Uh, perseverance. Um, and as you say, you have to have, have a thick skin, and, but no matter how how many times you get rejected, you still, it's still, or how many times you've been published, you, it's still bad. But just perseverance and remember that not everybody, just like you don't like everybody else, you know, somebody suggests a book to read and you go and they go, oh, it's fantastic. And you go, well, you know, everybody's got their own taste. And just like my publisher, um, Julie Watts, connected with my story, keep sending your work out there, um, editing, edit your work the best it can possibly be, that you can possibly make it. Don't, you know, edit it the hell out of it, put it away for, you know, six months even and then bring it up again and and just keep doing that because 
Um, that's so important because you're sending it off. This is your one chance because you wouldn't send it off again, you know, to the same publisher. Mm. So that's very. Uh, and the third one would be keep your keep your eyes open. Be like an octopus with lots of feelers, getting ideas from everywhere. Always keep your mind open, never closed. I love it. Thank you so much for your time today, Gabrielle. My pleasure, Valerie. Thanks very much for having me. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. Do you want to write for children? Would you like to create characters and stories that kids will love? Our course in writing children's novels is the perfect way to start your journey towards becoming a children's author. This course focuses on writing for middle grade, that's 8 to 13 year olds. You'll discover how to find your voice, understand the market, take your characters and your readers on epic adventures and create a blueprint for succeeding as a writer. You'll also enjoy the convenience of learning online with your very own tutor providing direct feedback on your writing. You can find out more at writerscentre.com.au slash children. That's writerscentre.com.au slash children. I hope you enjoyed my chat with Gabrielle Wong. I just think she's absolutely delightful to talk to. Now, let's move on to just a bit of trivia, really. I think this is really cool. So you might call them capital or uppercase letters, right, and lowercase letters. Some people might call them big letters and little letters. But they're actually called majuscule and minuscule. Now, majuscules are the capitals, and the important thing with them is that they are all the same height, as though they're written on a pair of parallel lines, unlike minuscules, which can all vary in height. And here's another fun fact. They are called upper and lowercase because in printing presses, the different letters were held in different boxes or different cases. Yep, you guessed it. The majuscules were kept in the upper case and the minuscules were kept in the lower case. There you go. That brings us to the end of this week's episode. Thank you so much for joining me. I hope you've been enjoying the podcast. I'd love your feedback and I'd really love it if you could take 30 seconds to leave us a review or rating on Apple Podcasts or whatever your podcast app is because it really helps us in the ratings and helps other people discover the podcast as well. Thank you so much for your support and um, please do connect with me on social media. Feel free. I'm at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O on Twitter and Instagram and over at ValerieKoo.com. And of course, you can check out all of the show notes at soyouwanttobearwriter.com.au. Thanks for listening, everyone. And I look forward to chatting to you again next time. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writercentre.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writercentre.com.au slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more. <laughs>